One of the things that my wife likes to do when I go out of town, which is once in a blue moon, um, I might go to a conference or something like that, is I'll come home to a, a room that has had its paint refreshed. She likes to paint, like not like artistic painting, although maybe she'd like to do that once in a while, but she'll, she likes to paint. She'll, she'll choose a room, a bedroom or a bathroom that she thinks could use a fresh coat of paint, and I'll come home, and it's usually put back together, but I might have to put outlet covers on and maybe stick some furniture back where it was before because she had to move it around to get access to it. You know, I don't always know, notice if it's not a room, like if it's our bedroom, I'll notice because stuff will be out of place. And, uh, but sometimes it might be a room that I don't spend as much time in as my bedroom. But when you kind of walk into a room, if, if there's been, maybe this has happened, you've gone to a friend's house um, and you don't really notice what's different, but something is different, right? It's because when you put a new coat of paint on, a, on, on some rooms, um, some of you will notice right away because you're oriented that direction. Others of us, like me, are a little slower and don't notice details. But I sometimes still f- notice there's a different feel or a vibe in here. Like, I don't know what it is. Something's different. That's... That's what it's like when you refresh a room with a coat of paint. This week, last week, we talked about, um, Pastor Tom spoke about uh, refresh my finances, my financial convictions, and today I'm going to be sharing on refresh my faith. Next week, I'll share on refresh my life. If I asked you the question, how is your walk with God, which I ask people regularly if I have a meeting, just catching up with them, I might ask, so how is your walk with God going? I will tell you the number one category of answer that I give, and maybe what you're thinking right now, is you'll tell me something about your Bible reading. How is my walk with God? The first thing might be something along the lines of my Bible reading plan or habit or discipline or something like that, which I'm glad to hear. That's great. The second thing I might hear, you can probably guess, might have something to do with my prayer life. How's your walk with God? You might think about how's my time in the Word going, and how is my time in prayer going? And the third thing, um, which is usually quite a bit farther behind, but not that much farther behind, um, I guess, than these two others. If you add them together, it's almost always the Bible and prayer for sure. But if something else is mentioned in that conversation, oftentimes it has to do with how I'm connected to my church, whether in how I'm serving or maybe in a small group that I'm involved in or something like that. And you might not just say like Bible, prayer, church, and categories, but the conversation ends up there somehow, very frequently. There's good reasons for that, actually. I'm glad that that is oftentimes how we think because when we, when we uh, look, which we have um, over the course of several summers, we're still um, working our way through in a summer series, the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, Um, If you look at the book of Acts, which is the story of how the church was born and really the Christian faith was lived out by the first followers of Jesus, in Acts chapter 2, it gives several descriptions of what their life in following Christ looked like. And those three things, with one more, is mentioned. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God, to the fellowship, which is gathering together in large and small groups, to prayer, and then it also lists the breaking of bread, which probably had two meanings. It meant sharing meals together, so we did life together, but it also definitely connected to 
remembering the Lord's Supper and sharing communion together. And those are four kind of essentials from the very earliest of what a, what a part of a Christ follower's life they were shaped by, these rhythms, the Word of God, prayer, committed to the fellowship and the church, and to remembering the Lord through communion. Those are vital to our spiritual nourishment. Today, I hope that some of us, after encountering God through Matthew chapter 11, which is where the message is going to come from, will refresh, will experience a refresh in a spiritual habit. Maybe like Russell had, where he has had in the last year a refreshment that has come to his practice of reading and studying and understanding the Bible that's given him life. I hope that that happens for some of us. For some of us, maybe we'll just start reading the Bible again. It's been a while. Or maybe we'll decide I'm going to start to memorize some scripture or do something else with God's word that I have to, I've used to do, but I haven't been doing as regularly, haven't been benefiting from. I hope some of us will re-engage in a fresh way in our prayers, in our, in our communication with God, in our prayer life with God, or maybe in our personal worship of God. Maybe I hope that some of us will be recommitted to being involved and connected to both serving in the church, finding a place to use my gifts and talents, and also being connected to relationally the fellowship of the church, either gathering together here on Sunday mornings in a larger group or maybe in a smaller group with other people in a Bible study or small group. I hope that some of us this morning will experience refreshment in each of those areas, but I hope, my hope is really that this will happen not because we try harder or recommit ourselves. Um, this is the first year at the Schultz's has ever, have ever had a membership at any kind of gym or fitness center. It usually comes down to the values of the leader of the home, and I just don't value that. Honestly, I, we haven't ever done that a whole lot. So we decided to get a, a membership at Choice. And I've heard this description of the difference between what a fitness center looks like in December and what it looks like in January. And I walked into Choice January 4th or 5th, and I was like, now I've seen it. Because <laughs> I'd been going a couple times a week to swim or um, walk or something like that. And it's, you know, there's people there, but boy... First week in January, packed. I'm glad I found a locker, a space where I hadn't, didn't have to like touch someone while I'm trying to get dressed. It was, it was busy. It was busy. So I'm not trying about like, I'm going to try to do an exercise plan and try really hard. What I hope is that we can come to Jesus and find refreshment for our souls that will invigorate us to want to be more deeply connected to him. And that might cause us to change some of our spiritual habits, but we're not going to just try harder. It's because we meet with Jesus. Uh, Dallas Willard, I have a quote from him. He's a great uh, author, a thinker. Um, he said this, our behavior always follows our belief. By the way, that's not just Christians that think that. There's a lot of people that think that. That would fit into the category of someone that thinks or understands cognitive behavioral therapy in the counseling world, and actually that's kind of related to the verse Jason read earlier, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I think that's why that has often worked. It's because oftentimes our personal transformation has its roots in what we think and believe. Now, behavior and belief are connected. You know, I, I experienced this. Like I, like I said, I'm not really a fitness center guy. But as I've gone, I actually have a little bit of a shift in my thoughts about how much 
how valuable that is or how much I enjoy it. So I'm kind of motivated to do it again. So sometimes it can be the other way. Behavior can lift, lead to a shift in belief. But if the belief doesn't change, if, if it's just a drag for me to go to choice and swim, and I just dread it day after day after day, and my, shift, my belief never shifts, what's going to happen to my behavior, do you think, over time? It's going to be hard to just keep pushing the sled uphill, isn't it? We actually do need a change at some point in how we think. Behavior always, always follows belief in the end. I think that's true. So here's a couple definitions of refresh. To give strength to something or energy, there's some synonyms that start with the R-E prefix. Restore, reinvigorate, revive, renew, replenish, revitalize. Those are all things that are connected to a definition of refresh. Refreshing someone can have an effect of making them less tired, like giving them energy, right? Or it can be to cool them off. Now, we don't need that right now, but if you think about six months ago, you may have had a hard day mowing the lawn and you got a drink of water and it was really refreshing or something else. Or the opposite, in our winter months, I, had, I was out for uh, breakfast and my waitress came by and asked me if she wanted to refresh my coffee, right? So it's kind of like lukewarm, so you pour a little hot on top, which kind of refreshes it, but really just dump that old stuff out and give me new. That would really refresh it, right? But we use it that way. You can also refresh someone's memory, which is kind of connected to our topic this morning. Refresh what I used to know. Remind me, I asked a friend this morning, could you remind me his name? I forgot his name. I've met him like five times. It's so embarrassing, by the way. I might just ask your name. I might have known you for like six months or a year or three, and I still sometimes just have like a poof, gone, couldn't remember your name. Could you refresh my memory and remind me what your name is or information that you previously knew? Here's my sermon in a sentence this morning. I'll put it up on the screen at the end of the message. It's this. If you are busy or weary, or burdened, coming to Jesus to see yourself, God, and his heart for you will refresh your faith. It's my sermon and sentence. I'll say it again. If you are busy, weary, or burdened, coming to Jesus to see yourself, God, and God's heart clearly will refresh your faith. So how are you doing right now? Like, really? Are you fine? Which, by the way, if you say fine, I know what that means. It means not good. <laughs> or not as good as I would like it to be. Or it can be really bad, but I'm not going to say that to you right here, right now. So just so you know, if you ever say fine to me, I know what it means. And I might not push you and like poke you like, okay, well, tell me how you really feel. Because I know that's not good. Maybe I will. If we're at coffee together, I might ask that. Are you, do you feel overwhelmed? Are you frustrated? Maybe, do you feel like you've made a mess of your life? Or maybe do you feel stuck? Are you feeling overcommitted? How do you get refreshed when you're in any of those, in those times in life? If, you ha if you're not that right now, I'm glad you're not, but you've probably been there, and you probably know you're going to be in one of those categories at some time again in the future. So how do you get a fresh start? It's not self-help. It's not trying harder. Um, it's not a new class. It's not a new book. It's not a podcast. Although I'll say that any of that stuff actually at times can be really helpful. Sometimes God will use one of those things to help you 
get refreshed. It might be the catalyst that gets you in that direction. Today, I think what Matthew 11, what Jesus tells us, he actually speaks to us in Matthew 11, about something that he doesn't speak anywhere else about. And uh, he reveals his heart in, his, in the New Testament multiple times over, and then other people talk about his heart in the rest of the New Testament. But Jesus speaks about his heart in only one place that's recorded, and it's in Matthew 11, where he actually says, this is what my heart's like. And I think that in Matthew 11, we can find refreshment for our faith if we come to Jesus for three things. One of them is knowing God's heart. The other one is seeing God clearly, and the other one is seeing ourselves clearly. They're all key components to having a refreshed faith. Let's look at Matthew 11, verse 25. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twenty-five, which is kind of like the preamble pre, uh, to this great, succinct description of what God's like in his heart is towards us. Jesus says this, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Now, he just was speaking to a group. His disciples are present, but speaking to a group about people who really weren't responsive to him. And he basically was giving them the business. Like, this is what's going to happen if you don't respond. You're going to experience woes. But then he says this, thank you, Jesus, that you have revealed, you've hidden these things from people who are wise and intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants. I think if we come to Jesus to refresh our faith, we can see ourselves clearly. And if you want to come to Jesus and you want to see him clearly, you have to see yourself like he sees you, and that's as an infant. Or you're in the wise and intelligent and self-sufficient and you don't need him. But if you want him and you want to experience him, you need to see yourself as an infant, as a baby. That's pretty humbling. How dependent are babies? Do babies even know how dependent they are? They're so dependent, they don't know how dependent they are. Jesus says, if you want to experience me, the, the person that I reveal, the Father reveals himself to, is to infants. It's not to people who get it. I've been there, done that. I understand the Christian life. I just need a few tweaks. That's not who Jesus came for. He actually came to reveal himself to people who think they're babies, and they're still babies. And they never grow out of thinking that they're babies. Because to be honest, what you know right now, what you understand and see of God right now compared to who God is, is like the baby that you rock to sleep at night and how they understand who you are. That's just real. And if it's something beyond that, it probably means we need to refresh our faith by coming to Jesus so we can see ourselves clearly. I've, you guys all know, most of you know, that uh, I live in a house that is predominantly female. I have one son, and up until this last week, we have six women that live with us. My oldest just moved out this week, so now it's just five. However, the movie selections lean in a certain direction when it comes down to a vote. <clears throat> For instance, I have seen uh, both of the Frozen installments more times than I can count. In uh, the second Frozen movie, Elsa is on a quest uh, for self-understanding. 
she actually hears this voice that she doesn't know where it's coming from, and she goes off alone to figure out where this voice is because she has the idea that finding the source of that voice will help her to know who she is. And so she sings this song, kind of a desperate song, Show Yourself, because she's desperate for answers. And this here's some of the lyrics. It says, You are the answer I've waited for all my life. Show yourself. Let me see who you are. Come to me now. Open your door. Don't make me wait one moment more. Jesus is saying, I'm ready to show you who you are. You may not like the picture, but if you want to see me, you have to understand that you are an infant. Verse 26, Jesus goes on. So first of all, to refresh our faith, come to Jesus to see yourself clearly. You are more dependent than you think you are. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. By the way, just so you know, if you feel bad about being dependent, Jesus says his Father has a lot of pleasure when you see yourself as an infant and allow him to be your father, it gives him a lot of delight to be your daddy. Okay. All things have been entrusted to me, Jesus goes on to say, by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So here's the second way that we can refresh our faith. First, come to Jesus to see yourself clearly. Second, come to Jesus to see God clearly. We're going to camp out on one word in this second verse, which says the Son desires to reveal him. The word reveal is the word apocalypto. Probably sounds familiar to some of you. Apocalypse is a word that we might use. Apocalypse, although mm, apocalyptic movies or apocalyptic writing usually has to do with the end of the world, the reason why we have that connection is because Revelation, the last book of the Bible, called Revelation, we could also call it apocalypse because they're the same, they mean the same thing. The revelation, in this case specifically of the end of the world, is what that last book of the Bible is. And so this word really means to pull the covers back. To pull the veil back, something that wasn't understood or known, to now bring it into the open so that everybody can understand and know. To make bare or make manifest. And the, the, the time in my life when I experienced a revelation, when I experienced the verb apocalypto most profoundly, I've shared with you before, um, we, I, probably actually this year, I, my wife and I, we went with our family out to Colorado because our teen ministry had their conference out there, and so we decided to add a family vacation to it, and one of the places we were excited to bring our kids is to the YMC of the Rockies in Estes Park because on a chapel on the YMC of the Rockies of Estes Park, I was leading worship because that was my job for the summer in a college ministry program. I was leading worship like this. And my wife was over to my left singing like this, so we brought our kids to this exact stage. Looked a lot different than it has in my last 20 years of memories, but we're, we're leading worship, and I look over as we're singing worship. You guys would all be standing and be in your 20s and worshiping, and I look over, and God pulls the veil back. Andrea has been a friend that I've known for several years, but all of a sudden, she's not just a friend. 
all of a sudden I have all this emotion, like, I want to marry her. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> and I, and I've got to finish the song, and good night, have a great night, thanks for worshiping with us, and put my guitar down and go back, find out what in the world happened <clears throat> on stage in a church service. I don't think, I don't know if that's appropriate. I didn't really sure to process that. Probably a good place to find a wife and fall in love, I guess. <laughs> that's what I decided. But all this love and affection, desire, emotion flooded over me as I watched her worshiping. She had her arms raised, her eyes were closed. And I had, it was, it really was like a veil being pulled back that God said, okay, now I'm going to let you see her for who she is to you in your future. Jesus is saying, now that's just a little bit of an example, a little, little connection to what Jesus is saying is he's saying he wants to reveal himself to us in a way that we have not experienced before, that we don't really know what it's like, what he's really like. He wants to pull back the veil to bring us into a new understanding of what he's like. So in the movie Frozen, as Elsa's singing this song in this ice cave, because that's where she sings all her songs, there's always ice caves. Um, she sings, you're the answer I've waited for all my life. Show yourself. Don't wake, make me wait one moment more. Then she hears uh, this um, answer back. And there's kind of this image up on the ice of her mom that she recognizes her mom, who she could barely remember. And there's this great line. Actually, it's not a great line. This is not a great lyric. This is like a filler lyric that Disney put in there. But here it is. Where the north wind meets the sea, there's a river full of memory. Come homeward bound. That sounds like all mysterious, right? So that's not a good line. But the next one, she says, it rhymes with bound. That's why you had to end it that way. I am found, she says. Because she's, she's realizing she's coming to her revelation moment. And then a choir joins this image of her mom, and they say back to Elsa, Elsa, you show yourself. Step into your power. Grow yourself into something new. You are the one you've been waiting for all your life. Isn't that what our culture says? That's how you find yourself. Just look inside. You'll find yourself. You'll be, you become who you are. And, and it's funny, I watched, I watched this video again, and it's where I swiped this image from online, and there's all these comments, just crying people about this, so emotional. I'm sorry if you've cried at this scene, I haven't cried at it. Now, there's some reality to this. Really understanding who you are is a rightly emotional thing. It should move us when we have a revelation that I used to see myself this way, but now I actually see who I really am is powerful. But what Jesus is saying is you don't find that inside yourself. You find that in me. And really, step one is seeing yourself as God sees you. And really, if you want to have revelation, what you really want is you want to see God for who he really is. And that's what Jesus is offering. He's saying, I reveal my Father in heaven. I show who God really is, which actually gives you greater definition about who you are to whoever I want to show myself to. Okay, now that leads us to the verse 28 and third, 29 and 30, which is a profound passage. 
And actually, I'm going to read you a quote from a book. Entire books have been written on this short passage. Come to me. Listen to this as though Jesus is talking to you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because, here's his revelation of his heart, I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to read you the introduction, a page from this book called Gentle and Lowly. This might be one of your application points is to pick this up. I'm reading it, actually re-listening to it. I read it, the paper version. I'm listening to it as I walk around now. Um, Because I need this. I'm preaching this, but I need this this morning. So this is, this book and this verse is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, and the empty. Those running on fumes. Those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad? Again. It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us, we know it, we've heard it, we can say all the verses, but suspect we have deeply disappointed him. Who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, that he harbors mild resentment. Who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired. Who are convinced we've permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord. Who have been swept off our feet by perplexing pain and are wondering how we can keep living under such mind-numbing darkness. Who look at our lives and know how to interpret the data only by concluding that God is fundamentally parsimonious. Now, by the way, I don't know what that word means either. I had to look it up. It means stingy, overly frugal, reluctant to give out of his vast resources. We look at the data and we conclude God is like that. Someone who has a huge pile of what could help me, but he barely trickles it out in my direction. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So thirdly, if we want to have our faith refreshed, I think we come to Jesus to see his heart clearly. To see his heart clearly. He invites all of us who are weary and burdened, and by the way, I think those two categories, based on the previous conversation he had, focuses on two groups of people. Those who are weary of trying really hard to make sure they do everything good and right enough, or those who have blown it and know it and are burdened by the fact that they've blown it and know it. We're usually in one of those two camps, aren't we? We, we oftentimes are one or the other. He's saying any, any and all of us who are 
uh, the way that author uh, Dane Ortland, who's a great pastor, this is, by the way, a gold. This is probably something I'll read every few years because I need it so bad, uh, badly in my life, is, is all of us, all sinners and sufferers, he says. So either you're doing it or you're suffering under the weight of what keeps you from God. All of them are welcome to have rest. <clears throat> when I graduated college, I uh, invited a couple of friends, a couple of guys, good friends of mine who I had done life with throughout those college years, and we decided we were going to go to the Boundary Waters together. I had worked at a camp the summer before where we went on several trips. And so we went to the Boundary Waters, and uh, I- I've learned some stuff about myself since that time. One of them is that I have a... Um, on a certain strengths inventory I took, my top inventory by their description was persevering, which really means that I have a, the way that I put it recently is I actually have a high capacity for being uncomfortable. It's so high that actually I kind of like being uncomfortable. If it makes sense, by the way, running doesn't make sense to me. I don't like that uncomfortability. But in this case, what we were doing is we were going on an adventure and what we did is we went from lake to lake and we carried all our gear and our canoes to the next lake and we hiked it to the next lake and then we paddled and then we took all our gear and put it on our backs and hiked to the next lake and it was adventurous. I, it was worth it for me. And so I, I, I'd never planned this kind of a trip myself. So I'm kind of like, just like, no, this looks like doable. We should be able to get this done. I've told this story before. Some of you probably know it, but I, the last portage on one of our days was a, a longer than, I knew it was longer. We had done several short ones, and I knew the last one would be the longest, kind of completing a loop on our trip. And uh, what I didn't notice, because the map I had didn't show this, was the elevation change. Basically, what, the, what it was, was it was about a three-quarter of a mile portage, which three-quarter of a mile walk isn't that big of a deal, but when you have to carry your 75-pound canoe and you have two or three packs that are 50 to 100 pounds each and you have your paddles and your fishing gear and all that stuff, you've got to walk three-quarters of a mile or a half a mile with all that on your back is hard. And then when it's uphill most of the way, other than the last, like, 100 yards and you get over and then you go down to the lake, it was really tiring, Okay. So we, we and, and the worst of it all was that we knew, based on how long this was, that we wouldn't be able to make it in one trip. We'd have to do it twice. Most of our gear the first time and a little bit more the next time. We get over. I have my buddy uh, Aaron, who was in my wedding. wedding um, my buddy Matt, who I'm still cl- uh, keep in touch with. He's a missionary. Uh, my discipler, um, who's on staff with crew still, Eric, and my good friend John, who grew that's part of why I was at Cottonwood. John grew up at Cottonwood, and he's a pastor um, in the Twin Cities now. We were all on this trip together, the five of us, and uh, we got up and over and uh, to the next one. And I remember we put all our stuff down. We're all tired. And John, who was the shortest and the slightest framed, he, he flopped into this canoe. You can still see him there. Arms over, edge legs over the edge on the seat, and uh, we have to go back to get the rest of our stuff. And I remember looking at him, and I said, John, you just stay here and rest. We'll go get the rest of the stuff. And that's what he did. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily feeling like Jesus. 
Um, I wasn't, I'm not comparing myself to, to Jesus at all, but I'll say this. Um, when John recalls that, when this verse comes up, he remembers that. Because that's Christ's heart toward us when we feel like, God, I don't know if I can go. I'm tired. I'm over, I, I don't know if I can go back for the rest. He says, okay, come to me, and I will give you rest for your soul. I'm generous. It's interesting that he does it with a paradox. He says, take my yoke upon you. I don't know how to compare this to my Boundary Waters uh, story because a yoke, as you know, is a work tool. I have a picture. You can tie a few oxen together to get a bunch of work done, or you can use one yourself to balance the weight so that you can carry weight, carry stuff more efficiently. But, and I'm not going to try to explain the paradox. All I know is that Jesus isn't saying, come to me and you can have a nap for the rest of your life. Now, I think he believes in naps. He took naps, by the way, in times where the disciples were like, why are you taking a nap right now? He's like, I needed one. Time for, I think there's a lesson there. I won't get into that. I think Jesus is pro-nap. Because we have to live life. And life is effort. And he's not saying, I'm going to take you out of this life. At some point, you're going to have an eternal rest forever, and life will feel a lot more like a nap forever. Probably more fun than a nap, to be honest. I'm sure it will be. But he's saying there's a way that if you come to me, and you tie yourself and connect yourself to me, and join yourself to me, the work of life will be more like refreshment to your soul than you can imagine. And I don't know exactly, he doesn't try to explain exactly how it works. He just says it's true. Uh, This morning, I think some people here probably need to come to Jesus to find a redemptive rest. They've never met Jesus as their redeemer. That he's the one who forgives their sin, who opens the door for them to experience life now, eternal life now and forever. Some of you in the scriptures, it would say, come to me so that you can find eternal rest for your soul. The angst that you're carrying, I'm willing to carry and forgive that. Others of us are, need to come back to the Redeemer, to reconnect with his heart, with what he's like, to see ourselves as he sees us, to see God as he sees himself, and reconnect with him so that we can experience that rest. I'm going to invite the band up. Come on up, band. We're going to sing a closing song. But if you are busy, over-busy, overwhelmed, if you are weary or burdened, I believe that coming to Jesus to see yourself, to see your Father in heaven, and to see his heart for you has the power to refresh your faith. I'm going to read you. I don't know what kind of a book reader you are. I am I am not and never have been, and I am unashamedly willing to read the last page or chapter of a book before I start it. Just so you know, go ahead and judge me. That's fine. I can handle it. It won't crush my soul. Here's the end of this book. I just want to read it to you because this is, it's really speaking to what, what this whole verse is about. He says, go to him, go to Jesus. All that means is open yourself up to him. Let him love you. The Christian life boils down to two steps. By the way, you might want to write this down. You probably can remember it. Step number one is go to Jesus. 
Step number two, see step one. Really simple. If you knew his heart, what John, John Goodwin, Thomas Goodwin, I'm sorry, he quotes a famous Puritan preacher. If you knew his heart, you would. Isn't that true? Let's go to Jesus. Once you stand, we'll pray and sing this closing song. Jesus, thank you for being the one who offers to give us rest for our souls when we're weary. We're all invited, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how we've blown it or how we've wasted a lot of time trying really hard to make ourselves acceptable to you or others or ourselves or anyone else. Jesus thinks that you say, any of you in any of those categories, come to me. So you can see who you really are. So you can see what I'm really like. And so you can see my heart. I am humble and lowly. I am gentle and kind. And I have come to give you rest for your souls. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.